This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Mobile technology, when you talk about its origins, most people will tell you about the birth of the internet and the adoption of the mobile phone. Often, they overlook the most crucial component of it all. We're celebrating the 40th anniversary of a technology that half of our listeners have never even heard of, let alone use. Matt. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, today we're actually celebrating a a milestone. This is a pivotal moment in the development of mobile technology. It's a direct descendant of the smartphones we have in our pockets today, a machine that changed the way people behaved and made the sight of headphones in public a common occurrence. And this is also a really personal one for me uh, because this is a technology that shaped my teenage years and I guess kind of indirectly put me on the path to sitting here with you and for this show. Your first mobile phone? No, I mean, to be honest, my first mobile phone wasn't even a big moment. You know, my <laughs> first phone was an Ericsson that was rebadged in the UK as an Orbitel. Uh, I think that was in 1994 or 1995. And phones were already starting to appear on the high street by then. So I was by no means an early adopter. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't just yuppie swines that uh, carried them around uh, at that point. Um, big hearty men of the people like myself also had them in our pockets. You mean geeks? Don't be rude. Um, No, I had a gym membership as well. Yeah, and a deep voice. Um, It was kind of cool to have a phone. I mean, part of the reason I had one was to stay in touch with my younger brother who'd just started a university course after being ill for a couple of years. Um, I'd recently graduated and I was doing a, a, a lot of not very much in different parts of the country. Um, but because calls were so expensive, I actually hardly ever used the phone. Mm. Um, weirdly, even, I think the coverage back on those old analog networks, certainly in the part of the UK that my parents live, was better than it is today. Um, at my mum's house now, you need to be on different networks just to get a signal in different rooms in her house. Um, you know, they've barely touched 3G yet, let alone LTE. Where do they live? In a cave? Um, Well, I mean, it's flat and below sea level, so no, (laughs) not many caves around. Um, I could go into technical reasons as to why there are cell phone dead spots all over that area, but I won't because it's really boring and um, because we're here to talk about the Walkman. Right. Um, I only mention the phone stuff because there is an intersection. So most of my phones up until the smartphone era were actually Ericsson models. Um, latterly, they were Sony Ericsson models. And Sony is where today's story starts with the Sony Walkman. Okay, I, I know this part is the part that you hate, but can we have some facts, please? <sighs> Um, Okay, the Sony Walkman debuted in uh, 1979. It was actually called uh, Different Things in Different Countries. Now, it played a format called cassettes, for Mm. those of you who don't know what cassettes are. Um, They were and are completely unlike CDs or vinyl, which actually have a very similar concept in that a disc spins and a machine reads the sound that's on that disc. Obviously, with vinyl records, that process is analog. A needle reads tiny bumps in the record that are then translated into sound. CD is kind of a digital version of that. Uh, Only the sound is captured as ones and zeros, which are uh, recorded into the surface of the disc. Uh, Those are then read by a laser and turned 
by a, a complicated series <laughs> of processes into the sound that you hear. Exactly. Perfect explanation. Uh, what about cassettes, though? Well, audio cassettes were first marketed by the company Philips in 1962. Um, originally, they were used mostly for dictation. So business people would dictate their letters and uh, have them sent to a secretary to be transcribed on a manual typewriter, a bit like Mad Men. Mm. Um, well, in, in fact, exactly like Mad Men. And I remember <laughs> my dad still using dictation machines into the 1990s. They weren't originally thought of as a great music format because the quality was so much poorer than vinyl, reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape, and, of course, the 8-track. And I'm not even <laughs> going to go into what the 8-track was because that is going to take us down a 10-minute wormhole. So just Google it if you want to know. But they eventually caught up. Yeah, by the late 1960s, a, a couple of million cassette players had been sold worldwide. And I'm sure a lot of our older listeners had one of those mono cassette players, which looked like mm. a large brick. Did you have one of no, those? No, I'd never seen one. Oh, those, OK. Um, <laughs> they had the controls at one end, um, the large buttons and a speaker at the other end. Uh, they would have had like a, an analog tape counter on them, which just clicked 001, 002. Right. Wow. So you didn't even have like, you couldn't even tell how many minutes or seconds you were <laughs> into the thing. You just had to remember this recording was at 102. Wow. Or one, yeah, exactly. Um, so by the mid-1970s, the quality had caught up with 8-track and the smaller size and flexibility of tapes meant they were starting to catch on as a medium for pre-recorded music. Uh, you could buy blank cassettes of varying mm. lengths. So C60s were probably the most common, which of course had 30 minutes per side yeah. because you had to turn these things <laughs> over. Um, I think most kids of that era preferred C90s because 45 minutes meant you could get most or all of most albums onto one side. Yeah. And that meant they were great value. Um, they were like the prototype MP3 players <laughs> because you could get two albums on one machine at the same time. Uh, there were longer variants like C120 and there was even a C180, but yeah. getting mm. more tape yeah, into the housing meant that the tape had to be thinner, so it was prone to stretching or snapping. And how does the tape work? Well, a plastic film with a magnetic coating was pulled over the head inside the cassette player and, hey presto, you got music. <laughs> you really don't know, do you? <laughs> no, but there's actually a reason for that. You know, I could just Google it. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I had to do that to check some stuff like dates for this show. But there are some things that you don't actually want to know too much about. Mm -hmm. And of all the music formats, there's something that's a little bit magical for me about cassettes. Uh, from the ability to actually um, capture sound onto them to their warm and slightly fuzzy sound. Yeah. Uh, last week, you mentioned a book called A Fabulous Creation, a history of the vinyl album on geeks. Is there a link on today's show? I mean, I didn't think so at the time, but yeah. I mean, I guess there is. Um, <laughs> you know, the author, David Hepworth, talks about his love affair with vinyl, but also the social impact yeah. that, that vinyl yeah. had. And I guess I feel much the same way uh, about cassettes, which, you know, we'll get to in a, in a little bit. And it was cassettes rather than vinyl that made me fall in love with that format of albums, mm. which was my King of Culture recommendation last week, you know, to listen to your favorite albums tracks in the way they were recorded, even if just once in a while, and not just as selections on a, on a playlist. Uh, let's go back to the Walkman. Okay, so as we said, it was launched in 1979. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the 40th anniversary. <laughs> um, it was one of those products that didn't actually have an obvious market. Mm. So it only exists because Masaru Ibuka, one of Sony's co-founders, wanted a portable machine to listen to music on 
when he traveled for business. So he was already using one of the company's Pressman models. Now, this was a high-end tape recorder, which was designed mostly for journalists. But it was bulky and heavy. So he asked the tape division to come up with a prototype that was smaller and wouldn't sacrifice sound quality. And the rest is history. Well, no. I mean, legend has it that Ibuka only gave his employees two months to complete their task. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, anyone who's familiar with big corporations and industrial design will probably be shocked to know that they even managed it Mm. or to know that a culturally defining product like the Walkman wasn't something that was planned and honed over months and years. I mean, compare that to the genesis of any product out of the Apple stable. It's pretty much unthinkable. Um, And the Walkman, it it did okay on its launch, but it was such an alien concept that Sony reportedly sent its employees out onto the streets of Tokyo (laughs) with the machines and asked passers-by to try try out this strange machine with headphones. What do you mean by alien? Well, it's hard to comprehend this now, um, but music simply wasn't portable in the 1970s. Uh, You might see someone with a portable radio again. Yeah, yeah, mostly mono with an earpiece (laughs) that looked more like a a steampunk hearing aid. I mean, they were awful things. Um, But it was practically impossible to listen to music of your own choosing on the move. Even at home, music was mostly a social experience. If you wanted to listen to it privately, let's say when you were doing homework, you'd need headphones with a cable long enough (laughs) to snake from the the record player or the music center to the table or wherever you were sitting. Stereos in cars and boom boxes were also just starting to catch on, again, uh, propelled by the popularity and convenience of the cassette, although the 8-track that we didn't talk about was also (laughs) very popular in cars. Um, But on public transport, um, on foot or while walking, you couldn't just shut yourself off into your own private musical world. And how would you describe that impact? I mean, it's it's hard to even explain it because seeing someone wearing earbuds is the norm today. It's so commonplace that it's hard to get across how revolutionary it once was. Mm. I mean, we'll talk about that more after the break, but I guess the best example I can give is one of Coca-Cola's most influential and archetypal TV commercials. It featured a very young Tyrese, the soul singer who is probably better known today for his character, Roman Pierce, in the Fast and Furious franchise. The ad features him getting on a bus, singing along to the music on his headphones, and ending it by singing Coke's signature Always Coca-Cola tagline as the rest of the passengers on the bus look on. And that commercial was made in 1994, 15 years Mm. after the Walkman launched. And the sight of someone singing along to their own music was still a crowd-stopping moment, even in the mid-1990s. You know, you could probably walk through the BFM office right now and see at least half a dozen people absentmindedly singing along or mouthing the words to whatever they're listening to on their headphones. Mm. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it is a strange phenomenon now that you see people in trains who don't have headphones on. You'd be like, yeah, wow, absolutely. what do you like, do? Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're not reading a book. You're not looking at a laptop or a phone. Is there something wrong with your brain? Uh, when we come back, Matt will list down every album he has ever listened to on cassette. Yep, BFM 89.9. You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. Be free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. 
And we're back with uh, me, Jeff Sandro, together with Culture Pops, Matt Amatech. Today, we're talking about the origins of mobile technology and the pivotal part that was played by the Sony Walkman, which actually celebrated its 40th anniversary this month. So, Matt, it's hard to think of a term other than perhaps maybe the iPhone that is quite as ubiquitous as the Walkman. Well, that's another of the ironies of the way that this product was Mm. launched. Um, In fact, we should be grateful that it wasn't a huge success immediately because in the US it was originally known as the Soundabout, which is an absolutely (laughs) awful name. Uh, In the UK it was known as the Stowaway, which again is pretty terrible, but at least it has that (laughs) nice illicit ring about it. The Walkman was only settled on, um, and in fact, it's based on the pressman's name, hence walking with a pressman, um, because it was more portable. Mm. They only came to the Walkman because it was too expensive to trademark a different name in every single country and market. So are you saying it's an accidental icon? I mean, any icon in pop culture is an accident to um, some level. So when you compare it to the iPhone, for example, that looks like it was engineered to be an icon. Mm. Um, This was kind of a a last hurrah for Sony's cassette division because sales of their other products were flagging. And let's not forget that original Walkman, when it came out in the US, it was 150 US dollars. You know, that was serious money. Uh, When you say it's equivalent to about 500 US dollars today, think what that buys you Mm. in terms of smartphone. And people paid this, not to mention the not inconsiderable cost of buying new AA batteries, what seemed like every five (laughs) minutes. Um, You know, they they were buying this thing that just played cassettes and gave you the ability to, to listen to the radio. So even Sony wasn't prepared for the cultural impact of their own product. The Walkman effect. Yeah. Now, this is one of the reasons that I said at the top that the Walkman was more to do with the birth of our mobile culture than the mobile phone. So for years, we had phones that spent most of their times in our bags and our jacket pockets. It was only when text messaging and, of course, the game Snake made it onto our phones Mm. that they became things that we kept on the table and kept in our hands. And even Sony, when they launched the Walkman, were worried that it might be seen as antisocial, which is why those early players had two headphone jacks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some models even had a pass-through mic to channel the outside world in (laughs) and allow listeners to speak to each other as they listened because Sony's bosses couldn't conceive that people wouldn't want to share the experience of listening to music. And as it turned out, isolation was exactly what the Walkman's users wanted. And it turned out that isolation actually meant control. Uh, In what sense? In terms of opting out? Well, any technology like this is going to have positive and negative effects. So when you talk about opting out, obviously people often think of that as a negative. Um, Or rather, you know, the same effects are going to be seen by some people as positive and Mm. other people as negative. So the term was coined in the mid-1980s by a Japanese researcher called uh, Professor Hosokawa, who viewed the device as a kind of response to urban life. Subsequent studies by British researcher, Professor Bull, um, apparently also known as Professor iPod Mm. for his research in in this area, (laughs) showed that the wearing of headphones in public altered people's behaviour because the headphones signify that you are fundamentally occupied. So as you were saying before, when you see somebody on a train who isn't wearing one of these things or a plane or, or whatever... 
the head funds signify that you're occupied and you could basically float through your environment. You could break social norms of eye contact and conversation. And Bull found that it actually changes the way the wearer processes the world around them, giving them much more of a concept of control over the space and time that they occupy. Mm. When I travel and when I need directions, uh, if my GPS is not working on my mobile phone, I'll actually, you know, ask someone who I see is not wearing a headphones or an earphones compared to someone wearing a headphones or earphones because it, they you just... You don't see, want yeah, to interrupt yeah, them, yeah. They're and, in their own space. And also, if you stand in front of them and you try and get their attention... It's tough. They, yeah, well, they <laughs> smile and they just walk around you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, because they can. They have that ability yeah. to not follow the norms of social behavior. Mm. Some Somebody who isn't wearing that and you stop them on the street, yeah. they feel obligated to stop. Yeah. 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 But anyway. Uh, and what's the negative side? Well, all the other stuff that we hear, but that a lot of studies um, haven't actually borne out. So social isolation and insularity, narcissism, because mm. the isolation mm. places you at the center of the world, which is why somebody can step around you and decide <laughs> that they want to ignore you. Um, and I'm sure there's some truth to some of those claims. But you know, as we always parrot on the show, technology is never totally one thing or another. What's a positive effect for some people is going to be negative for others. But you can draw that line straight through to the way we immerse ourselves in digital culture and cut ourselves off from outside influences today. Mm, I'm just thinking, what was your first Walkman? Well, like a lot of people, um, because I didn't have 150 US dollars, <laughs> my first Walkman wasn't a Sony Walkman. Oh. Um, it was an Awa Auto Reverse model. So that's a brand that's kind of disappeared. Yeah. Um, it was grey, it was ugly, and it had an AM FM radio. And I absolutely loved it. I think I got it for Christmas in probably 1985. Um, bear in mind, I was only 13 at this point. So, you know, I'd have been seven when they came out in 79. Um, I think the first album I listened to it to listen to on it rather was Psycho Candy by the Jesus and Mary mm. chain. That was perfect for a Walkman because it was lo-fi, it was full of feedback. But I think the album I played most on that machine was um, Killing Jokes Nighttime, which came out the uh, the following year. You were a goth. Well, I listened to uh, <laughs> a lot of typical paint your bedroom black music, um, you know, Depeche Mode, The Cure and mm. The Mission. But I was also listening to, you know, hip hop and electro and, of course, a lot of pop. Um, Bronsky B, OMD, Gary Newman. Um, as my geek tune choices show, mm. I'm still into uh, synth pop and that kind of psychedelic and distortion stuff today. And though I bought vinyl as well, it was the cassette that I really loved, even up until yeah. and through the CD era, because cassettes were cheap. You could buy two albums on tape for the price of one vinyl record, or you could buy three cassettes for the price of one CD. And for a teenager, I mean, that kind of value is just a no-brainer. Mm, same with me. And, and why did that teach you the love for album format? Well, for a really simple reason, you know, with a record or a CD, and I know you've just gotten back into vinyl as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Only because I can't afford now. Well, like, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly with MP3s and streamed music, it's easy to skip tracks. On mm -hmm. a cassette player, it's an absolute pain. Um, like we were saying, you know, you, you had to remember the numbers that tracks were out, and that would be different on every single player. Yeah. Um, you had to physically wind the tape backwards and forwards and find the end of one track and the beginning of another. 
not only was it irritatingly hard, I mean, it could take you longer than the song <laughs> to actually get to the right place. But not only was it hard, it killed your batteries. I so, used pencils to do the rewind to save my batteries. Really? For the cassettes. And yeah. how long oh, did that it, take? Oh, it'd take a while. <laughs> I mean, that really would be, it would be better to listen to the song, right? But that's the kind of thing you do with a but kid. That's the kind me, of logic you have. It makes me appreciate every single part of the song because when I rewind back and I put it back to the player and I, I hit play, I know how much more I need to rewind to get to the start of the yeah, song. Exactly. I know every point of the yeah, song. Yeah, you start to, to to feel the format physically yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's really really cool. Um, but you know, and and one of the things that it does as well is it teaches you to chill. You know, you try and find the positives in the tracks mm-hmm. that really should have been burned long before the band reached the studio. I mean, like you said, to to skip the track, you really really had to hate it. Um, but, you know, eventually I was pretty much a Sonny-only Walkman buyer mm. and I went through so many. Yeah. I mean, I just wore out the motors on them left and right. Um, after the cassette versions, I had mini discs. Yes, I was the person who bought that long forgotten. Oh. But it was actually very usable yeah. format. Mm. Um, I had Sonny's Network warm- Walkman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you're laughing because they were uselessly limited to Sonny's uh, proprietary <laughs> A-Track 3 format. Mm-hmm. So you had to actually convert everything, even from an MP3, <laughs> you had to then convert it to a track. And on old PCs, that took hours. Um, and, you know, I even had those early Sonny Ericsson Walkman phones. Oh, well, uh, no Discman. I mean, I did, but I never really warmed to it because oh, yeah. CDs were slightly too big, yeah. right? Yeah. They did um, work. <laughs> no, um, the players were too bulky and they skipped. If you tried like, <laughs> yeah. walking or running with them, they jumped. Oh, no. And that was the beauty of the cassette Walkman. It just did what you wanted. It played music without fuss. And that's something we take for granted with digital music because there isn't anything to skip. Mm, and a lot of your memory seems to be wrapped up in the Walkman. Well, I mean, and you as well. I mean, you can, <laughs> you know, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, just that thing of only owning cassettes. But there's something about the solidity and the warmth of the sound. You know, it is really personal. I can close my eyes and picture myself in the back of my parents' car on Boxing Day 1985, listening to Psycho Candy for the first time. <laughs> um, or a summer I spent in Paris in 1991, which was soundtracked by a Best of the Doors cassette. Um, and a, a shout out to my cousin Lilla, by the way, who housed me and found me a job and was a really great friend in Paris at a time when I needed one. Or the countless hours spent haunting dodgy music shops and stalls in London Soho in the mid-1990s. The stalls where journalists would sell off their unwanted pre-release white label tapes weeks ahead of official release dates. And that's where I discovered bands like In the Nursery, The Aloof and dozens and dozens more. Mm. Do you still listen to cassettes today? Well, there's a question for you, Jeff, and uh, one for my mum if she's listening to this show. So probably about 10 years ago, she threw out all of my tapes, hundreds of them. Um, It was my own fault. I should have had them shipped over to Malaysia years ago. Um, So no, not really, because they've all gone. Have you forgiven her, your mum, I mean? Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I got over it pretty quickly because, you know, like I said, in the same way I can picture myself in the back of the car listening to you, I can 
listen to the actual music anywhere on my phone or my computer. I haven't lost the music mm. and I haven't lost the memories because I can replay that experience of listening to, you know, Oasis for the first time. And is this the time for a cassette revival? Well, we talk about revival, but actually cassettes have never really gone away. We just haven't really paid that much attention to them, uh, especially in countries like Malaysia where the punk and DIY underground music culture has kept the format very much alive. Uh, there's a great episode of uh, 99% Invisible, the podcast from 2016, about cassettes and the US prison service. Mm. Uh, tapes are still the only way that many uh, US prisons allow recorded music in. Uh, digital music, of course, requires access to the internet and all sorts of other files can be hidden on those drives. Yeah. So a lot of prisoners are restricted from doing that. Vinyl and CDs can uh, potentially be fashioned into weapons or other tools of the illicit uh, prison economy. So tapes are still made for that market. And a lot of prisoners hear today's music on ancient tape players. Mm. Um, it's a bit like Cuba and its 1950s yeah. cars. Walkman and players are kept going by absolutely any means necessary. And when you look on eBay now, Walkman are going for absolutely silly money because... Yeah. I tried to buy one recently <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just, no, no, I was just, I'm not playing that game. Yeah. Uh, what about newbies? How can they get into the format? Well, just quickly, um, Sony has an exhibition of 230 of its Walkman players in Tokyo, Tokyo including those network Walkman, um, <laughs> called uh, Walkman in the Park. Now, that's at the Ginza Sony Park, and it'll be running until September. It features um, the players, but also uh, the experiences of um, prominent Japanese mm. uh, and the music that filled their players. So if you're in Tokyo and you want to know a little bit more about the format, or you're like me and you want to wallow in uh, nostalgia, you can head over for that. Um, but you don't have to mine the internet's underbelly for reconditioned or barely working players. Mm, there's one on Kickstarter. Well, yeah. Um, so I think it was this week. Um, it was the launch of a Bluetooth-equipped uh, Walkman clone on Kickstarter. Um, that will work with all those expensive uh, wireless headphones that everyone's invested in. It's called the It's OK Player. Uh, it's available for um, 588 Hong Kong dollars. So that's a little over 300 ringgit, although it won't actually come out until December. Uh, earlier this year, Musica, a bunch of uh, Malaysian physical format fans, uh, released albums on cassette by local artists Ferns, The Impatient Sisters and uh, Beyond Horizons. Uh, I think there are still a few copies around. You can head over to the uh, Musica online Facebook page and ask the very friendly admins if you're interested in buying any of those. And I spotted a post a few days ago from uh, Malaysian music specialist store Teenage Head Records, which is taking pre-orders for the reissue of all of Bjork's albums Ooh. on coloured cassette tapes, and not very expensively, yeah. around like 50, 55 ringgit. Oh, wow. um, so the future of um, the walking man and the walking lady <laughs> and their tape players is very much one of the future and not just one of the past. So happy 40th, guys. The icon. Uh, we've been talking about the story of the Walkman as it's celebrating its 40th anniversary. Uh, we'll be right back with Geeksbox after this BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. To learn more, visit tm1.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.